No, it is not a new introductory music. Welcome friends and colleagues. I'm going to start with a very brief review of the Six Days of Creation in song. This comes from their album 613 Torah Avenue and all the children learn this in school. Just a minute and 18 seconds, please. Christians have their own version of the creation song, as I found out when I'm looking for this one um, on the internet. So I hope you enjoyed that little interlude. We spoke about the message, what the Bible tells, not what it says. That has been our dominant methodology, and um, it does offer one great advantage in the story of creation. First of all, we suggested that the reason creation is divided into seven days is to drive home the message that everything leads to the Sabbath. Secondly, we suggested that this is to teach us that on the earthly abode, it takes time and process for the cause to create an effect. In heaven, God says, let there be light, and there was light. And the earth, not so fast. This is important because the separation of cause and effect creates a space for humans to have freedom. When there are multiple causes, it appears, and in fact it is so, that man with his free will is one of the players in how things happen. That allows them to both have the freedom <coughs> excuse me, and to have the illusion of freedom. How these two things interact is complex, complicated. We will not deal with that now. But given this perspective, in modern times, we can begin to separate the actual creation maybe did not take place in seven days. We can say every day of, was an eon, an era, that lasting how many, whichever years. Or we can say whatever we want. The point is that uh, as a book of instruction, the Torah was not particular telling us history. 
This precedent for that from previous uh, generations, uh, the Torah Shalema uh, collects many views of the Kabbalists who see the seven days of creation as the seven sephiros, seven stages of emanation. Um, it's been argued that this is not instead of the literal understanding that there were just seven days, but in addition to it. Uh, that is something that we can discuss, but it does uh, take care of uh, scientific objections um, in a roundabout way. It avoids the issue because it simply says that this is what the Torah wants to teach us by uh, crafting the narrative of creation seven days, which makes the question of how actually it happened a lot less important. And of course, as I remind you, uh, the Ramban into, to some, Nachmanides and to some degree, Rashi already indicate that uh, the story of creation is not about actual physical events that have happened. It's about the message. And uh, there were many medieval philosophers, especially in Spain, that uh, suggested such an approach to the first few chapters of Genesis. It's only like the Rashba Shlomo ben wrote when it comes to the history of the Jewish nation that a literal approach is the only acceptable approach. Because if we undercut uh, our national history as a uh, non-literal allegorical uh, narrative, we undercut our very basis. So today I want to narrow down a little bit, drill down this, as they say, into the issue of um, what is the arrangement uh, of the seven days of creation. Once we are no longer wedded to exact literal understanding of each day being each day, which it can still be, uh, it's just that we're not wedded to it, we can start thinking about why this structure. And I want to present today three different ways of understanding the structure. We have seven days. Creation completed on the sixth day. Seventh day was the day of rest. Do these six days fall into some pattern? And in fact, it does appear that there is some kind of a pattern. When you read the story of creation, you instinctively realize that there's some kind of a pattern. So there are three approaches that I would like to present today. The first one is uh, from Leo Strauss. He was a, a Jewish philosopher, but even more so a general philosopher that left a definite mark on modern philosophy. He was a scholar of Maimonides who uh, generated some interesting ideas about uh, the philosophy of Maimonides. But he also has an approach to creation. And uh, this I get from the recent book by Leon R. Cass called The Beginning of Wisdom, uh, where he discusses Leo Strauss's uh, approach on page 34. So, he, he says that uh, the approach uh, is based on 
the idea of development, or what Plato calls diaresis. In other words, everything is divided into two groups. That which we are going to discuss and complete, and that which we leave for later. Then we go to the group that we left for later, and we divide that into two. One part of which we are going to discuss and complete, and the one that we leave for later. And if we do that, we see a certain type of organization in the creation story. So, on the first day, there was something without place, meaning light, and something that have place. We complete discussing light, and we go to the second group. And the second group, there, is a there are things that lack definite place. There are regions that need to be filled. And there are things that have a definite place. We'll discuss things that do not have a definite place, that are perhaps themselves places. A regions needed to be filled. This would be the heaven, the sea, and the earth. Now let me just make a point that uh, this idea that in the first three days we basically created something that was filled in the last three days is a very sensible idea, as we will see. On the third day, things become further subdivided into those that lack local motion. This would be plants created on the third day. And things which are not discussing yet that have locomotion, that do move from place to place. On the first day, we have things that move, and they include those that are not alive, or at least nowadays we think they're not alive. Certainly in the ancient days, they thought that there was consciousness and volition uh, in the heavenly bodies. But let's say like that. So on the fourth day, there's a group that lack life, sun, moon, and stars, and the group that have life, which we are not discussing yet, until the fifth day. In the fifth day, there are things that have life that are not on the earth. They're in the sea, fish and bird, fish, or they're flying in the heavens, which is birds. And we discuss them on the fifth day. Uh, but we leave the things that live and move on earth for the sixth day. So on the sixth day, we discuss two things. Moving animals that are alive, that are not in God's image, which is land animals. And there is another group consists of one, men, a moving, living thing that is in God's image. And then we discuss that. That's one interesting approach. There is another approach which also is suggests itself, which is a sequential approach. In other words, A, B, C, D, E, F. In this approach, the first day corresponds to the fourth day, the second day corresponds to the fifth day, and the third day corresponds to the sixth day. How are we going to, to quite do this? So I worked with the chart that Jonathan Grossman, a young um, professor of the Bible now at Bar-Ilan University, previously taught, uh, taught uh, in the Tatilumi Shiva world, um, 
and who put out the book called The Creation, and it's called Creation, The Story of Beginnings by Maggot Press. There on page 47-48, he's done my work for me. I just had to uh, clarify it, and here it is. He notices something that we spoke about already, which is that on the first day you create light, but not the bodies that produce light. The moon and the sun and the stars only get created on the fourth day. So that can lead us into a consideration of correspondence between days. So we already said in the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God separated the light from the darkness. And the fourth day, let there be lights in the sky. And he separated light from darkness. The point I'm making is that one thing that can help us uh, understand the intentional parallelism is if the same expressions are used. So if on day one it says separated the light, and on day fourth it says separated the light, uh, the text is calling our attention to this parallelism, and we should note it. Okay, now, on the second day, uh, God separated Rakia and expands in the middle of water. So God said, let there be a Rakia and expands in the midst of the water, and he separated water which was below it from the water which was above it. And he called it sky, Rakia. And the corresponding sixth day, two to six, said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. So on the second day, there was an expanse in the water. On the sixth day, the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. On the second day, it says that God called this expanse, Rakia, Shemaim, sky. On the fifth day, the bird, the birds fly, fl, fl, <laughs> flew, flied, flied above the earth across the expanse of the sky. Again, the word Rakia repeats, pointing us to the parallelism. And the third day, which corresponds to the sixth, let the water below the sky be gathered one area, and he called the resulting uh, dry land earth, and the gathering waters he called seas. And the sixth day said, let the earth bring forth every kind of living creatures. So there's a correspondence between dry land being called earth and this earth bringing out creatures. There's another correspondence between the third and the sixth day. God said, let the earth bring out vegetation, seed-bearing plants. And the sixth day, God blesses man and gives him every seed-bearing plant that's upon the earth. Same words, earth, plant. So that would be the second approach in which Day one corresponds to four, day two corresponds to five, and day three corresponds to six. The idea being that God created the space, which he then filled on the corresponding day. 
I would propose yet another way to divide, and that is through chiastic structure. Um, we will not discuss this kind of structure now, but in modern times it has become extremely important in understanding both sentences and uh, parts of narratives. And what it basically says that we have a structure which looks toward the middle. So that, that let's say, one would correspond to six, two would correspond to four, and three would correspond, I'm sorry, one would correspond to six, two would correspond to five, three would correspond to four. Uh, the idea behind this, I think, is that people read in ancient times different than we read now. We're used to sequential reading. We have a novel. We have it chronologically developed. And that is what we expect. But And we also don't reread. Uh, we, we have so many books. We read them once. Uh, in ancient times, they had few books. And they had even fewer sacred books. And you read it and read it and read it. And you read it very carefully. Very, very quiet place with no distractions to the extent that we cannot even uh, produce such a method of reading nowadays. And you focused on the entire story, and you correlated, and you came to the middle. And the main idea that the story tries to give is in the middle. Uh, I'll give you a very quick example. When God created Eve, I will say this in Hebrew, he called her woman because from man it was taken. So, lizos ikore isha kimi ish lukaha zos. The sentence starts with the word zos. This one, it ends with the word zos. This one. There's a correspondence between it should be called and was taken. And of course, isha, woman, and ish, man, even like in English, sound very similar. So the sentence focuses in its middle, man and woman. Lezos ikore isha ki, because, mi ish, lukaha zos. That's an example of a simple chaotic reading. Uh, we'll talk much more about it. I think I'll need to have a special uh, session on that. But for right now, just look at the structure of the creation. We have day number one. I would say that day number one corresponds to day number six. On day number one, there was a spirit of God. On day number six, God blew soul into men. On the second day, as we already said, there was this rakia, there was this expanse. And on day fifth, as we explain, again, the rakia, the expanse is mentioned. And day number three, the earth was revealed. And day number four, the luminaries were hung, revealed the heaven. So you have this chiastic structure, again, where one, day one corresponds to day six, day two corresponds to day five, day three corresponds to day four. The only pair, of course, that has only one element, earthy element, 
on day three and heavenly element day four is the three and four pair. If you look at one and six and day two and five, you see that it combines both something in heaven and something on earth. Uh, but three and four, three talks only about the earth and four talks only about the heaven. Again, uh, this is drawing our attention to that middle heaven and earth confluence and interaction. <clears throat> and the story of creation then would be focused on how we are finding ourselves in this world where heaven and earth touch each other. It's a much bigger question that we'll discuss one at some time, how heaven and earth can possibly interact, how spiritual and material can in any way influence one another. But the story of creation draws our attention to the fact that they can. Thank you very much for listening. Until the next time, and may you only have blessings.